Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. It's Vladimir Putin, you know, overseeing some missile tests, missiles, of course, that can handle multiple nuclear warheads, engaging further with Belarus. Will we see an invasion into Ukraine, which wouldn't just be an invasion, it seems at this point, it'd be just a straight out takeover. Done, finished, complete. That easily, that quickly. We've been hearing now for days that an attack is imminent. We're hearing uh, the Biden team saying it could happen in just a matter of hours. Is this thing happening and has the Biden administration made it worse? Because when you listen to people like President Zelensky, When you listen to people like President Zelensky of Ukraine, you kind of get the feeling that the Biden administration isn't making things better, isn't doing things to help. As a matter of fact, what they're doing is a whole bunch of nonsense. We don't need your sanctions after the bombardment will happen and after our country will be fired at or after we will have no borders and after we will have no economy or parts of our countries will be occupied. Why would we need those sanctions then? I mean, he's he's punching at the Biden administration very, very hard. Welcome, everybody. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you. Major Mike Lines joins us right now. Military analyst, West Point graduate. Of course, you can find him uh, on the Twitter box, M-A-J Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, Major Mike Lyons on the Twitter box. Let's start with uh, this Munich conference. The first time I think it is in 20 years that the Russians didn't show up, but Biden sends Vice President Harris to go. What was the purpose of the conference? Did Vice President Harris have a message that made allies feel like we're all connected in this? And is any of it a deterrent to Russian aggression? Yeah, not one bit, Tony, not on any level. Um, yeah, obviously, Joe Biden's not up to going himself at this point and sends who is probably our worst possible representative to go to there, where she gets mixed up, crossed over with regard to trying to say some tough things. She's just reading off bullet points that people give her, and she just has no ability to think on to herself when, uh, you know, as the situation is evolving. You saw Zelensky get there and basically call out the conference, and he had the guts at least to show up, leave his country. There were some that thought that that's when the attack was going to happen. Everybody thinks these transactional moments are, you know, every five minutes when something's happening. Uh, he had the guts to show up and basically call them all out on it, and then had the guts to go back to his his country. So, um, you know, it's it's really not not a good look. Um, you know, we, we, the vice president has this real no legitimacy in that in that room. Um, you know, carrying whatever message the Biden administration has, which is, you know, wait until we, you know, it really goes back to what he said a couple of months ago. Well, maybe they can just have a little slight encouragement, and we really won't have a big deal with it or so. Uh, yes, the, the, the minor incursion line from President Biden still haunting him. Uh, this conversation, though, about sanctions, I'll give you a one-two punch from uh, Kamala Harris. First is the conversation, the same thing you heard from President Biden. 
that uh, an attack is imminent. Imminent. They see an attack happening, and it's going to happen. It's definitely going to happen. And then you have Kamala Harris making the statement that we have sanctions that we believe will deter uh, uh, pr- uh, President Putin that will deter him from engaging an attack. That is a message that contradicts itself. And so it must, I assume, when that happens, lead to people like Vladimir Putin making other calculations when they hear that kind of nonsense. Exactly. And we won't say what those sanctions are. And, and that's the other thing that the, the Ukraine president wanted us to do is kind of lift them out there and you can make an argument. You can implement some of them now. If there's this long list, um, you know, it's it's just it's sophomoric in terms of how they're reacting to it. And, and so much of it is just that it's reaction to, to things that that are already happening. There's just not any intellectual capital within this administration to look over the horizon and try to get out in front of this on any level. I, and I think some of it right now is just trying to you know, keep the president, you know, his head above water when it comes to you know how he's doing. There was actually an article I saw in the Washington Post that said this is you know going to now show what kind of leader he is and you know gives him a reset on being leadership. I mean, if that's not the wag the dog thing, I just don't know what is. So um, you know, I I think we're within 48 hours. In some ways, the, the artillery fire has started. There was a security meeting in Russia today with regard to the situation there. This is just a fait accompli at this point, and um, no one. We just have to see how much of Ukraine gets taken, how much of it gets destroyed, and what kind of carnage uh, comes of what's going to be a, a tr- tremendous attack. I think on their on their military. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army West Point graduate, military analyst. Uh, you, the statement from the Ukrainian foreign minister is that there's been no attack, and Ukraine did not uh, attack uh, Donetsk or Luhansk. They did not send saboteurs over the Russian border. They have not shelled Russian territory. They did not shell a Russian border crossing, nor did they conduct acts of sabotaging Ukraine is not planning on it, but we have heard some stories of some shelling, and now we know there's some other uh, shelling happening uh, in 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 the region. Can you talk to me about what you know, where this shelling has taken place, and is the idea that there's this accusation that the Ukrainians did this or did that, is it possible they did, or is it the standard, as people have been talking about, false flag thing everyone's been waiting for? Well, I, from what I understand, the shelling is in the southern uh, eastern portion of the country, and it's where there are separatists there that have control over certain areas. And this is where um, they want to get a an approval from the Russian government to, you know, actually formally occupy that area first. It looks like that they're going to use troops to get into areas where they have you know, limited resistance. Let's say. Um, where they can, let's say, go further than just Crimea and that southern portion of the country uh, and control what they control right now politically because of the uh, majority of the population does support the Russian leader. And so I think that's you know really what they're trying to do. They're going to try to get a successful military operation that's going to take place first there. The artillery that's been firing has just been prep fires, as we call the military, to try to soften up certain targets to basically warn others not to get involved once the time comes. Um, then, you know, we hear from, for example, CBS News, they say, well, they, they've all been given the order that this is going to start. Well, I mean, there's the element of surprise. Or, you know, the principles of war are at play here with regard to how, how this is actually going to start. And I just don't see it starting with us, with them giving any kind of hint that it's actually started. It's going to come from indirect fires and from the air. And so I think that um, it's going to be important that once they shore up that southern portion of their of the country, uh, then you'll see more of a likely start in the northern portion against the air defense and against the uh, air. So if, I, if I'm hearing you correctly, your take 
is soft movement in that Donbass region and then fast movement through, throughout. I have been making the claim, based on my research, that I don't see the Russians moving uh, west of, of Kiev and taking that part of the country. I'm starting to question whether or not I'm right. Are the Russians looking at this saying it would be easy to take, so let's just take? Yeah, I think so. I think that I think that they've got to look at that border because that's a natural border between um, Ukraine and and the, the the West, the rest of those NATO countries. Out of there's a NATO country right on its border there in Poland and Romania. So, the, I think that that they no, there's no question that that's got, has to be part of it. Uh, Vladimir Putin looks at things on a map, looks down and says what we can, what we can't, what we can and can't do. Knows he could take that by encircling it from both directions in the north and in the south, and the, those troops it has in Belarus. So I, I think that he's going to be wide open to taking the entire country. He's not going to just take a half a bite of this, like really what happened in 2014. 2014 was half a bite at the apple. I think those days are over. I think this this mission has been planned for the last eight months in earnest, and probably for the past 14 years in his mind. I, I it, it would seem to me that the argument has been exactly what level of deterrence could keep him from a, a full-on attack. And, and I am, as I watch this, uh, feel in the same way that he doesn't feel like he has to give up anything. He could take the the everything. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army West Point graduate, military analyst. There was a piece in the Washington Post uh, that was all about how, you know, uh, Ukraine, uh, not Ukraine, Russia took Belarus and they never even had to fire a shot. But Belarus has always had uh, the sympathetic Russian leanings, uh, including the, the president there, if you want to call him a president in Belarus, who mm-hmm. relied on Russia to be able to put down, you know, uh, insurrections in, in his own nation. So when we say there's 150,000 troops amassed uh, on the south uh, side of Ukraine, how many are there in Belarus where it's a very easy stroll down the river to Kiev? Yeah, I, I've heard reports of a couple divisions that would make it uh, thirty to 40,000 troops there. And the pictures that I've seen show that they've got all aspects of the military combat power, air defense platforms, tanks, um, armored personnel carriers. Uh, and the like, and so. I, but in, in the in the case of what they have to do is they just kind of have to what's called hold up that shoulder there and provide a blocking force, and they're going to allow, for example, um, civilians to likely pass through that border onto Belarus and maybe into Poland as as they create refugee situation there, humanitarian crisis, but just to prevent any military from retreating, and and they don't, they don't need the same kind of force that they would need in the offense. So that's why I think that they recognize they don't need the, the larger number of troops in Belarus. They have to have somebody there. Um, but um, it's more or less like a, an anvil, so to speak, that will be a final, uh, as, as the, the, the troops from the south push more towards the north, won't allow those, those military units to escape. They, they, in a perfect world, Vladimir Putin has the Ukrainian military capitulate quickly. I, I don't think he wants to kill them. I, I, he recognizes that you can't destroy Ukraine in order to take it. And I think that's... That's part of what the challenge is here and how you thread that needle and whether or not the Ukraine people actually do fight remains to be seen. There's a possibility that the Ukrainian people won't fight back. They'll just be like, oh, well, America didn't stop this. Uh, that's it. It's over. That, that's possible? Absolutely. Anything is possible. The, the thing about this whole – kind of, you look at history, any kind of warfare, and nobody thought in World War II the French were the greatest army in the world and the, Russian, the, the Germans rolled through them like they weren't even there. Um, that the, 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 there's no way that the civilians can fight. They don't have the same 
level of equipment that uh, that the Russians have. The, the Russians have just fought this war in Syria where they're not going to make the same mistakes that the Assad regime made when it came to uh, what they were doing there. They're going to be they're going to be brutal about it. And then, you know, people have this in, instinct to survive. Now, don't get me wrong. There'll be some separatist units. There'll be some insurgencies that will likely take place. But whether they will win and and hold victory, that, the reason why he's got so many troops to go in because he knows he's going to have to use that many troops to hold the area, the, the size of the landmass that he's going to try to take. So now it leads us to well, if if this if this is where we're at. Right. If we're to the place where not uh, there's going to be, you know, the the overtaking of the Donbass region, or, you know, there's going to be just the eastern uh, side of Ukraine. No, no, no. The whole of Ukraine, you have two things going on and they both involve the Europeans, uh, which is first, how do they handle the refugee situation, specifically Poland? And then how does Europe deal with the aftermath? We have the German chancellor, the new chancellor, Olaf Scholz. Uh, saying over the weekend that uh, it's a rejection of calls to sanctioning Russia right now, and we should not. Uh, we should while we should be well prepared to sanction Ru- Russia if they were to invade. The sanctions would clearly have to involve Nord Stream two and some other things. But Germany has been remarkably silent. So what is Poland, which is right there on the border with Ukraine, doing about a refugee problem? How is Europe taking a look at a refugee problem? And what is Europe standing if they literally do nothing and this happens? Well, I think you know I've talked about Poland. I think that that they've become the best NATO ally uh, from the United States' perspective and. Um, it, there's some kind of a backstory to that as to why, and, and you know, part of the reason why they're such a good partner in NATO is because they, they're actually are interested in their own defense, and they're actually interested in making sure that Europe remains um, secure, secure and free. I, I think um, that there's, you know, the, the Germans are going to look in their own best interest, which is still that pipeline still remains to, to be in their own best interest as they've outsourced a lot of their energy. To to the Russians already. Um, there's no amount. We're, we're past. I, I do think, that, like like I said, we're past the point of these sanctions deterring anything from specifically happening now this time. But go back to the question on um, refugees. That, that's why um, I think U.S. forces are there because what we are good at is setting up those kinds of situations and helping. We'll be reinforcing the Polish uh, government when it comes to that border situation there. I, I wouldn't be surprised. If we get very close to the border and the Belarus military and perhaps the Russian military will, will question that, but there's, but I just believe that that's what U.S. forces are going to be there for 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 non-combatant evacuation and setting those camps up. So we're on two different subjects here, dealing with it with an overflow, dealing with the refugee crisis, and Lord only knows who the Russians are going to send over for mm-hmm. the refugee crisis. Like that's a whole different, like like Cuba sending people uh, as they were, you know, escaping Castro. But the other part of it is now we're going to have faith that it's going to be a U.S. military amassed on a Polish border with Ukraine that's going to keep Russia at bay. That for Americans is going to drive them nuts. No, Article Five will keep Russia at bay. They they know that they can't trip that that wire. They can't cross into that border, and they can do like like we said. They can send the civilians over, but no, there won't be any military action. You won't see you won't see um, any kind of conflict. I don't think because that that again that kicks Article Five. And if anything, the polls will do is decide to to roll their units to the forward lines. They have a much more competent military than the Ukraine military does. But there's a difference between defending and going on the attack. I mean, NATO is still fundamentally a defensive alliance, and it gets together when it has to. 
but but um, there's not enough troops there uh, as of right now in order to go on any any kind of offensive operations, which is really what it what it would take. The, the whole purpose there would be to defend that border and defend uh, what's going on there. But there's really no no way that they could do anything on the offense. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. Uh, we are going to keep talking about this and watching what uh, takes place. If you're a man who is, is, I don't know, placing your bets or based on what you're seeing on the ground, uh, when, when, when does the moment strike and is there anything in 30 seconds or less that keeps this from happening? Tony, I think it's already started. The artillery started. The soft, the, the softening up of those targets is already taking place. Um, let's say the ground forces are a G minus two. Let's say they start rolling more in earnest in the next 48 hours. Look for airstrikes. Look for taking out of air defense platforms in the next 48 hours. Uh, they're going to try to blind cyber attacks. They'll, they'll blind the country and shut it down from a, as much as best they can before they decide to roll completely into it. Major Mike Lyons, I, I fear that you're right, but I believe that you are. I appreciate you taking the time. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. The Dow is down 232. NASDAQ down 168 because they don't know what's going to take place. War action in Ukraine could mean an issue with oil getting uh to refineries, which could slow up this, that, the other. Just name it, because that's what we need. Uh, slower uh, supply chains. <laughs> slower issues. What was the story? Did I have it last week? Did I not even get to it? That the Department of Justice is now looking into companies claiming, uh, well, you, you say the supply chain is the reason why your price has gone up. But we know you're really gouging people. All of a sudden, supply and demand doesn't exist. The The Department of Justice is just going to threaten companies to lower their prices. You think what's going on in Canada is bad? Dear Lord. By the way, what's going on in Canada is super awful. If, if you catch my uh, daily video series, The Morning Rumble, at 10 a.m., you saw some of what is happening and how they have truly embraced uh, communist China. You know, it, it's it, or or you could look at it the other way. China and Russia have gone full Canadian. It's nuts what is taking place. And so we're going to break that down in a little bit. Andrew Lawton is scheduled to be with us of True North, former Canadian radio host and, and political candidate. What's really going on and what's with these emergency powers that the Canadians now want to make permanent? The whole story in the meantime the markets are down. You got to assume they're going to stay that way for a while. Dwan Howard. Should he still have a job? That's up next. I'm Tony Katz. In the middle of the night. Wisconsin. We'll trigger it in, Higginbottom, he'll hold it, and the clock will expire. Wisconsin, tied at the half with Michigan, dominates in the second half to come away with a 77-63 win over the Wolverines. I wouldn't share that if there wasn't a story there. Tony Katz, great to be with you. Tony Katz today, the phone number, 833-GOT-TONY, 833 468 
8669. That is not the story. The story is how in the world does Jawan Howard still have a job? The story goes as follows. I'm gonna bring in producer Ari here because he's gonna he's gonna fill it in because first of all it's Wisconsin and those are his people. Yeah, sometimes. Those, oh please. I know, I love them. That's you do. So if it's not Butler, it's Wisconsin. So the story goes that the game is over. Wisconsin has beaten Michigan. That that is the way it, it, it went down. Enter the the shaking of hands. Right? The teams are, are shaking hands. Good game. Good game. Good game. And the two coaches come together. Juwan Howard is unhappy. Juwan Howard is unhappy because, well, a timeout got called. Now, Producer Ari, I am not sure how a timeout <laughs> causes such a problem. What happened here? Uh, Wisconsin was beating the brakes off Michigan. The game's over. There's like a minute left. So Wisconsin puts in their scrubs. You know, the guys at the end of the bench who, let's get him in the game. The fans will love it. And Michigan still has one of their starters in, is running a full court press. Even though the game's over, they're doing it just because they're doing it. So Wisconsin inbounds the ball. They have 10 seconds to get it across half court. And because the full court press is going on and because Wisconsin has their scrubs in, they're in trouble and they can't do it. So instead of turning the ball over, the Wisconsin head coach decides to call a timeout so he gets another 10 seconds to try to bring the ball over. And Juwan Howard is like, what the hell? Why are you extending this game with 14 seconds left? You're up by 20. Why'd you call a timeout? Just take the turnover. So picture the scene. Picture the scene. You got the Wisconsin coach, already knows the game is in hand, puts the guys in who never uh, get to play. Juwan Howard, they're, they're still playing full out, even though they know they're not going to win. And you have Wisconsin that's going to get called for a penalty because they can't get across in, in, in 10 seconds. Boom, calls a timeout to give them a little more time to do so. Juwan Howard loses his head. That's exactly what producer Ari just said. It seems to me that if you're the Wisconsin coach, if, you're, if Michigan's still playing their way, you're still playing your way. You would have done it with anybody else. You call it because you want your team to be able to get the information. You're not just phoning it in, saying, okay, this game is over. You're still coaching till the end of the game. Wouldn't that make sense? Yeah, I. some people have different. So some coaches will just take the turnover just because they want the game to be over. But it's not a rule. Like, it's not a, you know, requirement. So I don't think he did anything wrong. I don't think he did anything wrong either. Not not in the slightest. I don't think anything wrong was done at all. I think it was without question a fine move, and you're there to coach your team. Juwan Howard's not happy. So there they are shaking hands, and Juwan Howard's getting, uh, getting angry. And then the other coach's like, hey, let me tell you something. Now, Juwan Howard is Juwan Howard, and the Wisconsin coach is much shorter. <laughs> yes. We're, we're going to put it that way. Much shorter is what we're going to say. And then that leads to a little bit of a scrum. That little bit of a scrum then leads to Juwan Howard, the Michigan coach, hitting a Wisconsin assistant, like going back and hitting him in the face. Not slapped. Where? What was I reading uh, over for the win? Uh, it was a slapped him. There was no slap. That was a punch. The game's over. 
Michigan has lost this game, and now he's throwing a punch and is acting like he did nothing wrong. It's no big deal. That's the part that blows my mind. Juwan Howard's like, whatever. Don't care. Whatever. Here's the question. How is it possible? In It, it hasn't been 24 hours, but it's been close. How is it possible Juwan Howard hasn't been fired yet? How... How is that remotely, remotely possible? It seems to me that you can't be uh, be in a place where you're hitting another coach and still keep your job. What about the idea of, of never mind, first of all, you're physically assaulting somebody. Then how in the world do you expect to coach people if that's the way you're acting? I didn't say you couldn't scream at a ref. I didn't say you couldn't be ejected from a game. I didn't say you couldn't get angry. My God, you might even throw a chair. But this, you actually punched a coach. They may have rules about these things, and you don't get to do this. How does he still have a job is the question. That's the only question. And what I'm saying is, I don't know. What I'm saying is I have absolutely positively no idea how this guy still has a gig. I'll tell you what, though. I'm pretty angry that he does. I'm pretty angry that he still has a job. Because he shouldn't. Because he absolutely positively should not have a job. He's not entitled to a job. He's not good enough to keep the job. And I don't care if anybody's angry at me for it. The Olympics closed up shop. The Olympics said, hey, thank you, uh, but we're done now. No one cares. No one was watching the Olympics when the Olympics took place. No one can tell you who won medals. No one can tell you except for this 15-year-old Russian skater. No one can tell you about any controversy at all. They can't tell you about any great victory. They can't tell you anything because no one was watching. And no one was watching because here we have an Olympics where you won't recognize China as an abusive, authoritarian, nonsense terrible regime and they're awful and everybody knows that they're awful they're awful and they're terrible we are fully aware fully aware we have watched the horror show that is China at first they don't have snow they don't have snow. They had to invent it. Next, you've got the entire background, which looks like a dystopian nightmare. Then you have the reports, and you've seen the video, of reporters being pushed out of frame. Nope, you can't share this story. No, nope, you can't share that story. They are actively, proactively shutting down feeds. Then, of course, you have woke athletes who want to do woke things, and people are like, ah, and you have nobody watching. Part of the reason nobody was watching was apathy. 
apathy that got created by the International Olympic Committee not having a standard. So, I mean, I, I don't think I'm speaking out of school when I say that the IOC sucks. Anything for the dollar, any time for the dollar, no standards, we don't care. And they don't. They don't give a good holy dang. It means nothing to them. Absolutely, positively nothing to them. They don't care whether you're happy or not. They don't care whether or not they've lectured to you. And they don't care that the Chinese communists murder people on the daily. Take the money, move on. Thank you very much. What a problem with China. Are you sure? Okay, people, move along. There's nothing to see here. You know that's how it goes and so do I. If the NCAA can allow a coach to slap another coach when, well, no one did anything wrong, Juwan Howard just didn't take it right. Juwan Howard is to blame for all of it, beginning to end. If they're willing to say, eh, well, how, how, do you, uh, how do you engage a standard? How do you hold people to a, 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 a standard? How do you hold players to a standard if this is allowed? How, how does that work? This is the part that I'm having a hard time with. And this is the part where I say, Juwan Howard needs to get fired. Now, someone could say to me he doesn't get fired, but there's a seriously long suspension. Maybe. But if you don't put an end to this kind of stuff right from the beginning, those kinds of things fester and fester ugly. And they don't just fester in coaches. They fester in the players. They fester in the players. How could it not Oh, man, you're, you coach treated our coach like that? Well, I'll, when I'll remember that next time we play. I'll remember that next time things uh, go down. I don't, I, don't see, I don't see how it goes otherwise. I am stunned that we haven't seen any movement yet. We could by the end of the day. We totally could by the end of the day. And I know I'm not alone in this stuff. I got Stephen A. on my side, Ari. I I, I don't think he's going to get fired, but I think he should. You really think Michigan keeps him? Yeah, I think they suspend him for the rest of the year. If I had to guess. If I'm, if I'm setting bets, that's my bet. Yeah, there's some people in that, in that uh, kind of place. Suspension for the rest of the year. Uh, but if you're spending for the rest of the year, I, I think if it's if it's him, he he, I, man, you know him better than I do. Meaning you know more about his career better than I do. Uh, does he walk? He's like screw this, blank this, I'm out, and and ends up in another school somewhere. I mean, it's the Michigan job. It's it's, it's Juwan Howard. I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons to to totally be in for that homecoming. I can't see him. I can't see another school hiring him right for him right now. Uh, so if he gets fired from Michigan or walks from Michigan. He's going to be unemployed for a little while. 
Is Michigan hoping that the NCAA does something so they don't have to? I don't think – I think this is on Michigan. I don't think the NCAA is going to step in on this one. Coach hits another coach, the NCAA doesn't step in? Believe it or not, there's no rule in the rule book that says a coach can't hit another coach. Oh, good Lord. I guess no one ever think it could happen. That's that's the craziest thing ever. Craziest thing ever. Now, nah, something's got to happen. It could be, could be a, a, the end of the suspension. I, 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 a year-long suspension, right? An end-of-the-season suspension. It could be firing. All I'm saying is, is that the reason we see this in the Olympics is apathy. People just don't care anymore because the IOC didn't care anymore. This will this will happen in the NCAA. It's this is the way it starts. They cannot let this go. They can't. They just can't. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. The CDC, it seems, is pulling a fast one. The Centers for Disease Control, it seems, has changed some things. And one of the things that they changed was their parameters on childhood development. See, for example, they used to say that a child should know about 50 words at 24 months. Now, why does the CDC list these things or have a a theory about these things? I'm not 100% sure, but I never looked before. But go with me on the story. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's great to be with you. 50 words a child should know at 24 months. That was the standard. But now the standard is 50 words at 30 months. Now, if it was 24 and it was 30, we're now giving kids six more months to have 50 words. So therefore, de facto, we are lowering the standard. Was 24 months to know 50 words. That's how old the kid would be, two years old, 24 months. Now 30 months, that's lowering the standard. Six months more time to get to the same 50 words. Now why would they do this? What is it that has happened over the last, who knows, days, weeks, months, or years that would cause them to lower the standard of how many words a kid should know by a certain age. What's happened in our society over the, I don't know, last two years that would change the standard for how many words a kid would know? What is, are you kidding me? And the answer is correct. Masks on kids. Lack of schooling. Why deal with the ramifications of your horrific actions of canceling school, of limiting kids from going to school, of forcing them into masks, which we know has hurt kids in their speech development. I know it through study. I know it through hearing from speech therapists. And I know it anecdotally from parents who have kids who have these issues. We hurt these kids all the way around. And now the answer is, shh, let's change it. That way everything will still look fine. There is no trusting the CDC. Now, is there? If there was a new virus out and the CDC had the exact science that said, if you do these three things, you will live. And if not, you will die. People wouldn't do the three things. They just flat out wouldn't believe. They wouldn't believe. 
The CDC did this to themselves. Francis Collins, formerly NIH, did this to himself. Anthony Fauci, man, he will not go down in history well. Rochelle Walensky, going back to the inabilities to get test kits out because you didn't know how to do it. Dear Lord, they changed the damn rules. They changed the standards to fit the horror that they created. That's that's gross. That is gross, and that is exactly what we're seeing more and more of. It certainly seems they lowered the standards. Now, the standards have gone away in Canada. Andrew Lawton is scheduled to be with us, former Canadian radio host, former political candidate, and the guy uh, behind a True North, TNC.News. What's the latest? And some of the video, if you haven't seen it, it's there at rumble.com slash Tony Katz. These people have given up the ghost on even thinking they believe in freedom. That story's coming up. I'm Tony Katz.